Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is director, rapper, and hip-hop producer RZA. You may know him as the founder and leader of the iconic Wu-Tang Clan or as the composer of Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill Volume 1, but you will soon be able to see the new film that he directed, Cutthroat City, which comes out this August. Rizza and I talk about how he's spending his time in quarantine, his thoughts on the new Star Wars films, and the three movies that changed his life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating and leave a review because every single one counts. Shout out to Beast Loths for the most recent five-star review. Thanks again for listening, and here's Movies That Changed My Life with Rizza. So Rizza, how are you on this Friday? Now that you got a visual of me, you can see him in my, <laughs> in my office, uh, my downstairs office. Let me give you a quick gag real quick. and see what, Look what I got yeah. in my office. Can you see that? Oh, what, ha- what happened? I'm doing my own study. <laughs> <laughs> you get, well, what's the what's the microscope for? I'm I'm, I'm looking at everything, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just doing some some quarantine research. Yeah, some quarantine research. <laughs> Anything in particular you've just been throwing under there under the uh, the glass? Yeah, like you know, like the food. Like when I get it from the store, or whatever, I let some uh-huh. stuff sit out. See, see what happens if something builds up on it. Yeah, my own little mucus makes you know just checking stuff out, yo. <laughs> yeah, hey, why not? Now's the time to do it. Yeah, now's the time to do it. Maybe I'll come up with some. <laughs> uh, speaking of quarantine activities, one of you know a, a lot of celebrities and people have been doing things to uh, you know help everyone staying at home, stay entertained. And one of my favorite things I saw was uh, your beat battle. Uh, with the great DJ Premier, oh. <laughs> um, so so uh, I really really love that. I mean, two of my favorite hip hop producers of all time, uh, digitally battling back and forth. Uh, do you do you plan on doing any more uh, stuff like that? I know that was like in conjunction with someone else's project, but uh, what else was going on there? Do you, do you have any other plans to do things like that? Not, no, the only other thing I've been doing um, digital. I mean, any way to help people feel good is is what I think we sh- should focus on as a you know as a celebrity. I, I use that word lightly. But as a celebrity, you know, people look to, towards us for entertainment, uh, to take their minds off of things. And that's what we do with our art. So what I've been also doing, I have this thing called 36 Cinema. And I actually put a movie on where uh, the audience can watch it with me and we commentate about the movie and we 
you know, I pull up classics. It's almost like a class, right? You know, movies that inspired me, like Shogun Assassin or Shaolin versus Wu-Tang. And we talk about the movies throughout the course as it's playing. And for a movie like Shogun Assassin, we had, you know, 5,000 people all tuned in at the same time, having a communal experience of watching a movie at the same time. So very different than Netflix. So Netflix, you know, you who knows who's watching what. But this was like at 9 o'clock on Friday afternoon, I mean, Friday evening, East Coast time. We're going to all sit in our living rooms and watch this movie together and talk about it. And uh, that's been the thing I've been doing. And the response to it has been great. I mean, I got hundreds of emails from people saying, like, it made their night. They felt like they was in the living room with, with their friends. There was one couple, one family that the father was across country and the daughter was across country. <laughs> and they haven't watched the movie together for months. And it was like the first time they felt like they was actually synergetically enjoying the same thing, you know? So yep. that's something that uh, I'm putting a lot of energy into. And every you know week or two, I'll do another screening. And how do people uh, find out when you're hosting a new screening? Fox 36 Cinema, we advertise it on our, on our Instagram sites, you know, Wu-Tang Instagram, 36 Cinema Instagram, and, you know, RZA Instagram and, you know, Twitter. Just through social media. We, you know, we, we, it's, it's very niche, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if, even, if, even if only one person is feeling better, I'm happy. But luckily, we, it's thousands of people getting a chance to tune in, and, and everybody is really loving the experience. It sounds like you've been prepping pretty well uh, for our, our interview today, then, if you've been uh, digging into your, your film history and, and talking about film on that level. I'm excited. Um, but before we get to the movies that change your life, let's talk a little bit about Cutthroat City. Um, I got a chance to screen it. I loved it. Um, why don't you tell us what Cutthroat City is all about? Well, you know, it's really at the core. It's a story about a group of young men with aspirations, you know, and their aspirations to be successful. One wants to be a comic artist. One wants to be, uh, he wants to have his own kennel and breed dogs. Another kid wants to be a musician. Maybe he's the next Miles Davis, right? And Mm -hmm. Hurricane Katrina strikes and their aspirations basically turns to desperations. And they find themselves going down a rabbit hole of trouble based on a bad decision, no reality. But what happens when all your livings is your living opportunities is removed from you? And in the black community, the other option of opportunities is limited. It's not like we got 10 cans of 10 flavors to choose from. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, <laughs> that's the only other option. And this is why you find so many of us uh, you know, incarcerated, you know, going through the crime life because our options are limited. And and in, in the movie Cutthroat City we realize that these guys, their options are limited and they have to choose a path. And, and I think the title says it all. Cutthroat City is like, yo, we live in a cutthroat world. I thought it was a great story to tell. And uh, I was happy that, you know, me and the producers all agreed that I could tell it the way I did. And I hope the audience really enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, the, the cast you, you collected for this film is out of control. Uh, you mentioned a lot of the younger actors uh, in, in the film, um, but then you have a bunch of great you have Wesley Snipes, you got Terrence Howard, you got Ethan Hawke, you got Aza Gonzalez, uh, T.I. is in there as well. Um, how did you compile this, 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 this ensemble cast for the film? Well, one thing I might be kind of good at is putting together good crews. 
<laughs> That's true. That that is that is in your repertoire. Yeah. Right? So I think I think that I always say that the, one of my biggest blessings in life was getting the chance to work with the Wu Tang Clan and bringing them all together from different neighborhoods and different you know whatever you know backdrops and even enemies at points, right? And then that that skill set remains with me. So if you ever go back and you take a look at you know my first film, Man with the Iron Fist, and you see how I'm able to bring in Batista. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kung Lee from UFC, Russell Crowley. So that's something I think that's a my uh, part of my creative ability. Um, but I would say one thing, brother: having the young talent with the older talent uh, was 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 so beneficial to both sides of the coin. One, you know, the younger talent they get to see how the how how, how a master works. And then the older mm-hmm. talent get to see and and let loose their their information into these young brains who's going to grow, hopefully, to one day be as great as they are. And then the last thing I want to talk about here is that, you know, you're the director of the film and you do a lot of really clever, uh, clean movements and characters between people. Um, something that I think always makes a heist scene great is a great setup into the the eventual crime in the first casino scene you do it so well uh, you're kind of switching between all the characters um sitting at the slots waiting for their moment you're panning around the room uh what was that like getting, getting that scene prepared wow i'm glad you noticed that because sometimes you know like you go talk to people about film and they don't you know they don't know that notice, <laughs> notice the technical ideas yeah. of what you're trying to do and to me that scene was shot with basically there's an Isaac Hayes song called mm-hmm. uh, Walk On By. And the way that song built up is the way I wanted my scene to build up. <laughs> so I'm telling my DP, like, look, and I you know, look to me, one of the greatest DPs of all time, and I had a great DP, Mr. Brandon Cox did a great job for me. But one of the greatest, you know, you watch Birdman, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> to me, that's the, master, that's the master class of filmmaking, especially when you want to deal with steady cams and, and things of that nature. And so that's part of my language. I tell my VP, look, this is my Birdman shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my continuous, uh, but but hopefully I could catch the emotion of everybody. I could catch the the suspense that the audience need. And when they all kind of see when they all kind when the camera finds all three of them walking together, forming that triangle, and then walking up to the uh cashier. Yeah. You know, that was part of me, like, you know, my video days as well, like taking all that energy and mixing it into a shot. That was right. actually one of my favorite shots. And I I I rehearsed it maybe a dozen times with just my iPhone at first. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I rehearsed it then we rehearsed it a dozen times with the cameras, because you know it's heavy, the, the camera work. And then uh and then with the talent. And it and it I, I feel like we that we really captured it. So I'm glad you know, you notice it. I hope the audience, without losing the movie, like, but notice the technical, some of the technical tries that I did in the film. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can definitely tell, and and the payoff is there. So I think people, if you enjoy heist movies, good action, uh, a lot of really, really great characters, everyone listening will enjoy it. So let's get into the movies that changed Riza's life. The first one is 1954's Carmen Jones. It has a 6.8 out of 10 with 4.4 thousand ratings on IMDb, uh, directed by Otto Preminger, written by, uh, the musical part is written by Oscar Hammerstein II. Uh, The screenplay is by Harry Kleiner, starring Harry Belafonte, uh, Dorothy Dandridge, and Pearl Bailey. 
Um, this is set in the American Deep South during World War II, uh, based off uh, the original opera Carmen, which came out in the 1800s. Uh, so talk to me, when, when was the first time you saw Carmen? I actually saw Carmen in my 20s. And the reason why it's one of the films that changed my life is because of the artistic expression that the film captures. Doing the musical numbers, the musical numbers are great, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, the setting, to take the opera and set it uh, into a World War II backdrop was great. I think Belafonte and Dr. Dangerous, their relationship was great. And for me, as an artist, because I was just getting into film at the time. Like, I think around this time, I think Ghost Dog is pitched mm-hmm. to me as a composer. Mm-hmm. And I see this film, and I'm just, like, totally inspired about what film could be. Because sometimes when you watch a musical, it's a musical. And you got to just kind of deal with the musical of it all. You got to be in the mood for that. Right. Uh, you watch a love story, it's a love story. Very few films, to me, captures all the elements and the tragedy. Tragedy and is Carmen, correct, yeah. yeah, and Carmen did that for me. So I guess as a kid, you know, I, I love Greece. Of course, I love West Side Story. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that Carmen existed. And I stumbled across it. And it, it really creatively opened my mind to the possibilities of movie making, movie scoring, and uh, character development. You know, it's it, the unpredictability of what was going to happen between Joe and Carmen, you know, because Joe, I don't want to ruin the movie, but he starts off in such a powerful position. And it just seems like, you know, the power of a woman, boy, is is something else. (laughs) So that was one of the reasons why that film, it changed my life. It, it, It actually creatively educated me. So something that I really love about Carmen Jones is that it, I mean, and the musical and, and the opera is that it opens up with one of the most iconic opera songs of all time. And there, there are several of them in, in this film. Um, even if you haven't heard of Carmen, uh, you have heard these songs, whether it's on Looney Tunes, you've heard all these songs before, but it's translated so well. What I thought about is that you being a hip hop producer is that Hammerstein basically sampled sampled the original Carmen and recontextualized it very similar to what you do. Did that resonate with you uh, when you saw the film? Actually, you know, you think of Hammerstein, and he, and he was, his, was Rogers with him as well, right? Rogers and Hammerstein did a lot of, they actually are masters of that. And, and out of all the big movie musicals, when you go back and check out their catalog and their interpretations of old music and bringing it to a modern era. Yeah, they are the masters of that. And, and now I don't think I consciously was like, you know, say, wow, they're doing the same thing. I'm doing it in a hip hop way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're 200% accurate to say that. And of course they wrote great original things that, you know, came right from their brain, but they definitely had a master way of, of interpreting uh, lyrics and dialogue and, 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 t- and making songs work for the films that they were a part of. Um, so that's a good analogy for, uh, I'm going to just tip my hat for you for now. I got to <laughs> go back and say it was sampling before all of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> my favorite moment of, of the recontextualization was that at the, at the end of the film, uh, th- there's a character who shows up. He's a prize fighter named Husky. Uh, he wins a big boxing match, and then the whole stadium starts singing uh, one of the main themes as he's being celebrated 
uh, in the middle of the ring. And to me, like that was so cool. Um, I, you know, it's a really powerful moment. Um, in particular, I think because it's completely the opposite, like you would never put boxing with, uh, you know, a traditional, uh, opera from the 1800s and it, and it just works so well as like a victory moment for that character. Uh, even though if it's not as much of a victory for, for the lead character of Joe, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so perfect. Something else that's really interesting about this film and important to think is that in this movie was made in 1954, uh, and it's an entirely uh, black cast. Um, did that stand out to you? And d- d- does that? Oh, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, you know, of course, Belafonte was on fire, and you know, I, you know, I love the film so much. I watched the documentaries, and I know that it wasn't easy for Dorothy to get the part. And right, but the point being made, it was a, it was an all black cast in the, in the, like I said, in the fifties. I don't think we get that again for a while. You know, mm-hmm. it's, and especially in the capacity. Uh, the characters weren't a bunch of downtrodden characters. It was right. very humanistic personalities. And, and and I think the type of roles that Black Hollywood would still love to get a chance to play with. You know what I mean? Right. Being a Black cast definitely stood out to me. In fact, that's how I ended up seeing the movie. Mm. Uh, I ended up seeing it because... So in New York, around that time, in Harlem, they had, uh, you know a lot of bootleg DVD places. Right. Right. <laughs> right. They had one and all this guy specialized in was black films. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's all he had. He don't sell nothing else. So next door I could get my Kung Fu, but if I go to him, I get, I get my black exploitation. <laughs> and Carmen was amongst the, the stack I bought that day. You know what I mean? And then when I watched it, I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know what I mean? Because, you know, that was before I was born, you know? Right. Last summer, Mm-hmm. Um, I have a daughter, you know, she's practicing singing and she, you know, she's 18 now. And I just said, listen, I want you to watch this movie and study it. Uh, I think it's a great piece of art and I think it will, you will walk away inspired. Absolutely. And then my last question here is, do you think Carmen is a villain or do you think Joe just should have wised up at some point? Uh, I know that's sort of like the complexity of Carmen and Carmen Jones is people's interpretation of of, of Carmen's character. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are when you see a good film, you you left with a question that you don't have an answer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And hopefully by me watching that film, hopefully that's stuck in my head enough that when people watch my film, they walk away with the, with a question. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't, I think it's very, I think the word is subjective, right? Mm-hmm. Objective means accurate, right? And subjective means it's subjective. Like who is, 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 is based on individual's opinion, right? So I think it's very subjective of who's the villain and who's the hero. Uh, but the movie's called Common. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Perfect. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Um, all right, let's move on to your second pick. This is 1977 Star Wars, uh, let it retell Star Wars, A New Hope. This was uh, is 8.6 out of 10 on IMDb with 1.1 million people rating it. Uh, written and directed by George Lucas, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher. Um, I don't think I need to tell the plot uh, for, for people <laughs> listening to this. But uh, so, so talk to me, uh, how, how did Star Wars change your life and when was the first time you watched it? I saw Star Wars uh, with my uncle Hollis, who was a big insp- inspiration of my life as well. I saw it as a kid and it was, it was during a time where life was pretty dismal for me. And the hope and the, and the idea of a force and the idea of a galaxy far away and, and a hero having to rise up to you know help save the galaxy. I don't know, as a kid, it just stuck with me. And, and, and my uncle Hollis, who, you know, who took me to see this movie, he saw it before he took me. And when he told me about it, he says, keep your eye on Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I was like, what the heck is an Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, it's like, it sound, first of all, that name sounds, think about an eight-year-old kid, this name sounds crazy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and when we saw it, and his idea of spirituality and force, I think it helped me. It helped me uh, understand a different energy about spirituality. You know, going to a Baptist church is one thing, which I did at that age. But to understand that, the, you know, the words he was saying, the force is all around this loop and you can use it yourself. I think that led me creatively to understand that the energy that I'm thinking and the vibe that I'm feeling can be controlled, manipulated, improved upon, and activated. Because around the same time that I'm seeing Star Wars, that same summer, I end up writing my first lyric. So it's all, so, so to me, it's like that movie opened up a creative path for me. And weirdly, and I know it's just a movie, but movies have that power. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It opened up a, a, a spiritual awareness, a different, a different potential of a spiritual awareness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also, Star Wars is maybe only my third time to a movie theater. Mm-hmm. It was hard to get go to movie theaters in those days. It wasn't like you know economically hard. In fact, it wasn't only one who could afford to take me to a movie was Uncle Hollis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my mother cannot afford to pay for no movie. Right. Yeah, so, so the magic of the movie. The, the, the idea that somewhere far, far away, there's a world of people going through what they're going through. Uh, the idea that there's a force in the universe that you can control. And then at the end of the day, the power of Dark Vader, you know, I never forget the scene when he <laughs> made the, he, choked, he snapped his finger and choked the guy. I was like, yo, you know, you know as a kid, you know, you thinking that you might, could you do that? You know Right. <laughs> I could go on and on about Star Wars, and I'm, I'm still a Star Wars fan to this day, and, and there's not, not one piece of product that they have not created that I have not 
put my eyes on from video games to animation uh, to Mandalorian yeah. to to you know to to when they open it up at Disney World. Guess guess who was online? Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe there are ten references to Star Wars in Wu Tang lyrics. Is that correct? Do you, do you have a ballpark of how many times Star Wars is referenced uh, throughout uh, your discography? You said ten. I think ten. I'll, wow, I didn't do the research on that, but that's <laughs> that's good research. I would think more. I would, so give me. Can you, you do you have those ten? I, I don't have the ten off the top of my head, but there's a couple references to specifically Luke Skywalker. It's from Hell's Windstaff uh, from '97. Uh, Lethal weapons. Step through your section with the force like Luke Skywalker. Rhyme author. Orchestrate mind torture. Uh, right. <laughs> so one, one, one of the great uh, Wu Tang <laughs> Star Wars lyrics there. My follow up to that was: I know you sample, uh, you know, punches and kicks throughout a bunch of records from from kung fu movies and stuff like that. Did you ever squeeze in like blaster sounds or anything like that? No, but on there's a song called Seventh Chamber Part Two, mm-hmm. and there's this weird horn, and I was going to take it out of the song. And I remember you guys saying, nah, keep that shit. It sounded like a fucking lightsaber was cutting through a mother. <laughs> Excuse my language, but and that's why it, it's why it stayed in the song. <laughs> yeah. So so in spirit it's there. Yeah. Um why do you think a film like Star Wars just continues to resonate? Uh it's gonna be timeless for forever, obviously. Uh why why do you think that resonates so well with people, no matter what age you are, when you watched it? Which ones you start off with? Uh, why do you think that's there? I think George Lucas really led a found, laid a foundation, and I gotta say John Williams as well, musically, because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the music and the, and the film is so intertwined. I think they laid a foundation of what the word of the first Star Wars we ever saw said. It said a new hope. I think it's the hope in it. I think it's the the idea of evolution to peace. You know, I think that that's going to always win. That journey, that struggle to get to that peace for mankind itself. And Star Wars is kind of etching towards it. Even in the dark side of the force, it's still etching towards a total uniformity of of, of men, women, and child, right? Of galaxies, in fact, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea, that unification, whether it's on the dark side of the force or the we'll call it the right side of the force, the good side of the force. Hopefully, the, I think that it, it, it just people feel it. Like he he tapped into something that is very uh, primal in all of us. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I I like to use the word. When he said a new hope, I think he it's it's really just, that's the sum of the accumulation of what the film gives us. It gives us a new hope. It, even even like I say one thing about the new one, you know, after you know the you know the Force Awakens, um, after after we we watch uh, Ray mm-hmm. become who she becomes, right? Yeah, we, we watch her, and then the evolution that we're in now, where we you know. Is the equal equal equality towards women, and then seeing that the power of the universe is now put into her to take that force is put into her to take forward. Yep. It's still the hope. So, Rise of Skywalker, Ray goes and she 
she completes it all, right? And at, at one point, then you thought maybe she was Skywalker's daughter or yeah, something like yeah. that. No, it's just a person. It's just a person who the force is rising in, and it's a and it's a it's a young woman. And when we first saw the force, the force awaken. You know, they had a trailer. I, I thought that uh, a John Boyega cat character would be. You know, first of all, he had a lightsaber. A black guy holding a lightsaber. That was like, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, yeah. That was, that was crazy. Uh, but all those inclusions that these films did, uh, the Asian girl helping, mm, like, yes. mm. then you go back and you watch, uh, when you go back to uh, the one with Donnie in it. Sorry for me, my name. because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Rogue, Rogue One. Rogue One. Fast Whitaker done. It's, 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 I'm telling you, man. This this dude tapped into some. Yeah, <laughs> and it's hope. Yeah, it's hope. It's hope of the unification to me of I, I would say humanity, but in this case, it's hope of the unification of the galaxy in a peaceful way. And I think that brings us in. It's going to get us in every time. So anyway, that's my opinion. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, I, I feel the same way about, I know there is obviously some controversy among some people about the ending of uh, The Rise of Skywalker, but I really, really liked uh, episode nine. Uh, so it, it it warms my heart to know that we're aligned on that as well. <laughs> uh, I, I also like the, the tapping in on, on the hope and the diversity that you all, that you talked about. Um, I think it's really important to see the broadening of diverse characters in the Star Wars uh, galaxy and universe. So um, I'm, and I'm I'm really excited that Disney is going that path, and it's going to continue to expand upon that moving forward. My last question here is: I I know you're obviously interested in martial arts stuff, but um, Star Wars was based off of Akira Kurosawa's uh, The Hidden Fortress. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Did any Kurosawa films uh, or The Hidden Fortress kind of hit with you the same way as, say, any of the Shaw Brothers films did in terms of Asian cinema? Yeah, I mean. I got, I got into his films later, of course. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, in, I got into his films in the '90s. He's a great pioneer of filmmaking. When you watch the two, you you know you might not see the similarities. You might see the similarities depending on your own training of your eye. But mm-hmm. once again, this goes back to the power of film. So Lucas had to see that as a kid. Yep. You know what I mean, absolutely. And it yep. stuck in him, and it and it and it brought a fantasy out of him. That 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 changes changes the landscape of movie making in all reality, and that's the power of film. And and I guess that's why I guess Star Wars, you know, changes changes my life, and 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 Kurosawa changes Lucas's life. Brilliant. All right, so let's get to your last pick uh, that I'm honored and excited to get to talk to you personally about. Uh, so this is the 36th Chamber of Shaolin also known as Master Killer in the U.S. This came out in 1978. 7.7 out of 10 with 14,000 ratings on IMDb. Directed by Chia Liang Liu. Written by Kuang Ni. Starring Chia Hui Liu, Li Ye Lo, and Chia Young Liu. Um, and it's a story, a kung fu movie uh, produced by the Shaw Brothers about a man who his town gets attacked by the Manchu government and he goes to a Shaolin temple to train and fight back. Uh, to save his city and avenge his father. For people who don't know uh, the Wu-Tang Clan as much, uh, this movie was highly influential in your life. Uh, In fact, the uh, first Wu-Tang Clan album is called uh, Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers, just directly named off of that. 
Um, so I know you've spoken of this uh, at length. You have a you know a large part of your book, the Dao Vu, uh, is, is about this. But why don't you talk to us um, about the impact that the Thirty Six Chamber had on you? I've seen the film at a young age again. Uh, after Star Wars, after some spaghetti westerns and things of that nature. But this film didn't take me to a galaxy far away, but it took me to a land far away. It took me to China. It took me to Shaolin Temple. And it took me uh, to a place where I'm watching a group of college kids learn ethics and yet being oppressed by a government and begin to get part of a fight of sacrificing to cause the guy, his father, you know, he loses his father, he loses, they lose their family lives because of their sacrifice. And then they have to go and train and, and redeem themselves in revenge. Right. But the idea that oppression struggle, similar to the, the black movement in America, yo, like, mm-hmm similar to the the Kent College situation in Ohio. Like, I didn't think at that young age that these type of stories existed anywhere else in the world. And I'm a big fan of the Hercules movies and they call them the Sand and Sandal movies. I'm a very, I collect those. You know, Demetrius and the Gladiators and all those. Mm -hmm. This this was now a lens turned to the other side of the world during that period of time. Right. And this is a, a story of a man who had to go through self-study, right, persevere and build himself up in order to pass through these 36 chambers. Nobody helps you. In fact, you can't help. He became so good at it. When he started helping others, they was like they almost kicked <laughs> him out because he was helping. It's like, no, every man has to pass through this chamber on his own merit. And I seen Rocky already, so FYI. And I thought Rocky had the greatest training sequence to the t- to date. That was my best right. training sequence to date. When I seen Thirty Six Chambers, that became the number one training sequence. And the things he did to help build his body, because it wasn't just about building his arms and legs; it was his wrists, his feet, his toes, his head, banging his head on sandbags, his eyes. In fact. The whole eye chamber became part of my personal practice. I was like, and then when I met a real Shaolin monk later on in life, because I became enamored and uh, I just fell in love with this movie and and it actually sent me on my spiritual quest, right? So the force became one thing and now the teachings of Buddha became another thing for me. And I found myself going to Chinatown in New York City buying books. Me and Old Dirty Bastard, we both would go and buy books and, and buy Kung Fu manuals and things like that and come home and practice and, and try, you know, and try to emulate what this movie was inspiring into us. But because it led me to the teachings of Buddha and and to the, the history of Bodhidharma, it actually changed my life because it led me on the path that I'm still on. I never got off that path. And that's when that's when you know something has changed your life because you're still headed towards it. And, and it led me physically to go to China, to Shaolin Temple. Mm. Like, I did a pilgrimage there. It's like out of, you know, think about a, a young black kid 
you know what I mean, in Brownsville projects and then lives on Staten Island and then, you know, name his own his own borough Shaolin, <laughs> have some success in life, sell millions of records, make it to, you know, not that this means anything, but make it to a millionaire status, mm-hmm. but still has a chance to pilgrimage somewhere in the world and he pilgrimaged to Shaolin Temple. And that's what I did. You know what I mean? So this movie changed my life because it gave me a bigger view of the world. It gave me a big understanding of philosophy. It introduced me to other philosophies and from Shaolin teachings that led to me reading the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, that led to me uh, uh, to the Boshido. I mean, to the the Hakakuri. Like it led me to the whole Eastern philosophy. And, And when I came across it, it correlated because, you know, first, my first background is Christianity. You know what I mean? But yet mm-hmm. I found the correlations of the good parts of each other cross-pollinating. And then, of course, I made my biggest spiritual leap into Islam, into the Holy Quran. And the craziest thing for me is when I went to Shaolin, we did the pilgrimage from there. We went From there, we went to Wu-Tang Mountain. And so now I'm at the birthplace of my name. And I meet the abbot there and I meet all the uh, martial artists there and I learn about the eight immortals. And I'm like, wow, the first member of the Wu-Tang Clan is eight members. And it's all mm-hmm. this all this stuff is going in my head. And then on the final week before we leave China, we ended up at the Great Mosque, which was peculiar for me because I didn't even know it existed. And it was something mm-hmm. that my Sifu, uh, Sifu Shin Yaming, Shaolin Disciple was a leader of the USA Shaolin Temple. He said, I brought you here because I thought this will be special for you. He said, I'm not going to go in with you. I want you to go in there. And he let me go in there. And, I, and so after seeing all the other temples and all the other statues and everything that we saw, was, and was, trust me, beautiful things, and I'm, I'm truly inspired, I go into this great mosque and it's basically empty. And I'm walking through it, walking through it, and there's no statues, no nothing. But in one location, when I finally get there, the only thing is there is a mirror. And I look in the mirror, and I'm like, wow. And bong bong, it's, it's nothing to say after that. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's from, and, but it, it, that all started from watching a movie, from seeing something else about something else from around the world. Uh, and when you're young, it's, it's so impressionable, right? Because yep. you don't know that those are costumes. <laughs> those are like, you, you know, you actually believe that, that <laughs> the set is the location, you know what I mean? Um, but man, it really changed my life. So 36 Chambers of Shallow. I, I love that you're talking about, I mean, I get to talk to you about this because uh, this is called Movies That Changed My Life. But for me, uh, Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers was absolutely uh, a, a record <clears throat> that changed my life completely. And to me, it was so inspiring growing up as an Asian American, uh, seeing this Asian influence on hip hop. Um, and it, for me, it was like a perfect blend of things that I loved similar to you that I didn't know blended together. Um, you know, hearing 
uh, the opening track, you know, can your Shaolin style defeat my Shadowbox style? And like all these little things in there, I thought was like the coolest thing. And it inspired me to go down a path of looking at these martial arts films and going through the Shaw Brothers collection and all sorts of stuff. So I, I you know, when, and when I read your book that I read several times that the Dao Vu, seeing your stories and how that all blended together was like very inspirational to me. My favorite story from the book is where you're talking about, I think you're being chased through one of your neighborhoods and your group splits off and you're standing there in a, in an alley and you just close your eyes and the guys who are chasing you just run right past you. Yeah. And you're like, that's a moment where you found out you had divine intervention. And I think about that all the time about how, you know, I think if you're keeping your mind uh, focused and you're, you know, you know, you're doing what you can to be a good person that if you're, you know, staying true to yourself, good things will come your way. And that's like a philosophy I carry with me. Um, so, you know, I, I love that I finally get to talk to you about this. We get to talk about how it affected you in film. And, you know, it, it's a very circular narrative for me. So uh, it, it's, it's pretty cool to, to get to, to speak about that. I respect. Respect. So then the last question before we wrap, do you see a through line between Carmen Jones, uh, Star Wars A New Hope, and the 36th Chamber of Shaolin? Um, as to why you think all these films affected you so much and, and changed your life? The natural through line, I would say, is that they exposed me to something I never would have seen in my own neighborhood. Yeah, and that's the power of film, y'all. Yeah. That is the power of film. Thank you so much again for joining us here. Remember to keep an eye out for Cutthroat City, which releases in August. Uh, any last words here, Rita? No, I want to thank you uh, for having me on. This, this has actually been fun and... I appreciate your knowledge and insight as well. I love talking to someone who knows. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I want to thank you and keep doing what you're doing and much blessings to the future, brother. Thank you. You too. Have a good Peace. one. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on RZA and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list. 